Hey everybody, Patrick here, breaking into my own podcast with a quick announcement and promotion. I am giving away a free DVD or Blu-ray. It will be a movie of your choice from a list that I will send out to the winner. I will mail it to you free of charge. How do you qualify? It's very, very simple. All you need to do is go to the website SaintEuphoria.com. That's S-A-I-N-T-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-A dot com. And sign up for the Mimiverse free monthly newsletter. That's it. Uh, That's all you have to do. There's no cost. There's no commitment to you. Just sign up for that free newsletter. Take a screenshot that uh, proves that you've done so and send it to me. You can email it to me at notsuitablepod at gmail.com. Or send it to me on Twitter at FinHorror or at NSFA Pod, and I will choose a winner. But there's a catch: I will only uh, I will only pick a winner. The contest is only valid if I get at least ten entries. I need ten of you out there uh, to do this. So uh, please, uh, once you have entered the contest, please tell your friends. Uh, go on uh, go on socials. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I have posts out there on Twitter and Instagram. You can find them and you can share them and make sure that people hear about this uh, and see this and uh, try to win uh, that, that free, free movie and uh, and sign up for a newsletter from uh, my really awesome guest today, Mr. Christopher Mim. So uh, with that being said, uh, thank you. And we now return to your regularly scheduled programming. From the deranged mind of a madman with a microphone, it's a drinking podcast with a movie problem. You're listening to Not Suitable for Anyone. special episode today and a really special guest uh, that I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, his name is, is Christopher Mim. He's the founder of the Mimiverse, a uh, monster movie maker extraordinaire. Uh, Chris, uh, Christopher, thanks uh, for very much for, for jumping on and joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to discuss my work. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this because I... Uh, you know, I was trying to remember because um, the the main movie I want to talk about is uh, is Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. Uh, right. I'm, I'm a horror movie aficionado, and I think it's probably um, sort of the most um, you know it's got the most maybe horror elements of uh, of most of your features. Right. And yeah, I was trying to think of how I first sort of uh, discovered it, and uh, I think it was. Basically, you know, just the you have to I have to give credit to the Amazon algorithm recommendation because it that algorithm knows me pretty well at this point and it popped up <laughs> as, as something I might like. And I said, sure, I will I will check that out because where Skeeto Nazi Hunter? What, uh, uh, you know, how, how could I go wrong? And uh, boy, am I glad I did. Well, I'm glad you checked it out. I mean, um it's actually like my 11th film, but it's definitely one of the titles that 
gra- seems to grab people more often than not because it is just over the top and ridiculous uh, in the sort of you know B movie tradition that I'm constantly going for. Great, and yeah, it's it's one of those that um, it it feels very much like uh, like the kind of movie where the title came first. And um, and then the story was was sort of written uh, for that. Uh, it it I mean it is a lot of a lot of my movies um, start either one of two ways. It either starts with a very specific idea, like um, you know I made a a movie called The Giant Spider, which I can guess you can figure out what that's about. <laughs> um, but the title came after just saying I want to make a giant spider movie, and then I realized that the giant spider was the perfect title for it um but some of them like uh, i made a movie called cave women on mars i didn't know what the hell that was but when i said it out loud i'm like i'm writing that um where skeeto nazi hunter actually has a very interesting sort of path from idea to uh execution um the idea of a were skeeto monster you know and and anyone listening i think you can probably figure out what it is but i'll quick just describe what it is and that's it's it's like a werewolf but instead of turning into a wolf man you turn into a mosquito man um and that idea i'm from minnesota and there's a lot of standing water here lots of lakes uh and so we get a lot of mosquitoes in the uh, summer uh constant pest and so i thought it would be fun if i was going to do a werewolf style movie to do something with the idea of a were-skeeto just came up um sort of brainstorming with friends and family uh as a monster as a concept for a monster and it's you know it had been floating around for a while and it was just never something i could figure out how to do i didn't want to just do sort of a straight werewolf style movie for the were i wanted it to be something else i needed an angle because i made a lot of these cheesy monster movies uh you know going back to 2006 now and i do a movie a year uh, and the first one I did was called The Monster Phantom Lake, which is about a monster from a lake. Um, and I just, I don't want to always make the same movie each time. So the concept of the Wereskito monster, um, like I said, I've been floating around, but I didn't want to do something standard. I didn't want it to follow a lot of the, the same storyline. So it needed a hook. And it actually worked out that uh, I was at a film festival in Lake Charles, Louisiana, the year before I made that movie. So it had been 2010 and, uh, or maybe 2009, one of the two. Um, I guess I shot it in 2010. So 2009, I don't know. Um, Maybe not, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll stop obsessing about that. But uh, I was sitting at this uh, film fest and I was talking to people after having shown one of my movies and someone asked, what are you doing next? And I said, I hadn't figured out exactly what the next movie was, but I had a few ideas. And I said, well, what are your ideas? And I went through a couple ideas and, and the reactions were like, oh, okay, cool. Eh, kind of tepid. And I said, but I also have this idea for this monster called the Wereskito. And, and people kind of perked up at it. And I explained what it was. And I'm like, that's a cool idea. And I said, but I need an angle. I haven't been able to figure out an angle. It needs to be like Wereskito on the moon or, or Wereskito, you know, in space or something. Uh, and I said, it has to, it just, it needs something more. Like it needs to be like crazy, like Wereskito Nazi hunter. And as soon as I said that title out loud, the entire crowd just like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> and it just grabbed people. 
And so I'm like, so I said, I said right then and there, I'm like, well, I guess my next movie uh, to answer your other question was, is where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. And I got applause from it. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm making that movie uh, because that was the hook it needed. It needed something kind of off the wall and different and that, that added an, an angle for the story and, and, and something to grab people and a title that made, you know, made people want to watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, and, and I've kind of, I've kind of described the movie itself as, um, it's like, um, it's like the fly meets inglorious bastards directed by Roger Corman. Definitely. <laughs> that is exactly the perfect way to put it. Um, cause there are elements of, of that's the thing that it, it covers nicely is that, you get kind of a, a World War II-ish movie and sort of a, you know, the Nazis as the bad guys movie and Nazis is a perfect bad guy, uh, especially in those old movies, you know. Um, and then the Wereskito is is like a werewolf, but it also does have elements of the fly because it's a big man bug. And so there was like all these, all these, these boxes it ticked off. And so I was, it, it just, it really fit. And I, I, I thought it'd be fun at the time. Uh, a lot of my movies tend to be very, light and kind of i mean they're all kind of stupid and i mean that in the nicest way possible they're supposed to be cheesy b movies they're supposed to you know i call myself the king of new old good bad movies because i make movies that are new but they look old and they're good but they're bad and they're that's what makes them good kind of a thing um and it's a really weird line to walk of, of just trying to make cheesy movies and take it seriously and let and if it ends up being funny or jokey it's just because I'm trying really hard to make something good, but it's also a guy in a rubber mask, you know, um, who's a, a wear skeeto. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it just, it really seemed to fit with the aesthetic I was going with, but it also allowed me to then, to then make something maybe a little darker than I'd done before. And like you mentioned, it's much more of my, it's much more of a horror movie. And up to that point, my movies tended to just be kind of more comedic um lighter in tone i even made a you know i I even made a movie called danny johnson saves the world which stars kids and like little muppet style alien puppets i mean it's you know it's it's lighthearted. it's also a christmas movie i mean it's it's weird but then you get into wear skeeto and and i thought that story wise uh the angle of sort of someone uh you know it's a little bit about ptsd and someone surviving this horrible horrible uh you know medical experimentation that's done on them uh and then you know it's a revenge picture you know uh the the main character is trying to to exact his revenge on the doctor who created him um and it it added a cool anti-hero angle and i just i i liked that and it was something different i hadn't done anything like that up to that point um the closest i'd gotten was a movie called house of ghosts which is a my tribute to the films of William Castle. So it has like a gimmick and it's, you know, straightforward kind of haunted house kind of movie. But this one, I, I wanted to, I don't know, push the envelope for me anyway, uh, you know, with this one. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, it's, so it's definitely, um, what am I trying to say here? It's definitely the kind of thing that um, I think I think you can tell, you can kind of tell what you're going for, you know, pretty much right away. I mean, you're communicating a lot in, um, 
you know, with <laughs> with just the title, and then uh, you know, then even the uh, even the opening, um, you know, and and so you know, that was kind of the first place my mind went. You know, when I was when I was in high school, um, my uh, you know, my my girlfriend's you know, parents they found out they, that I was into movies and I liked you know weird movies and old movies and stuff, and so they got me this collection of uh, of like Roger Corman. Uh, classics and it was uh, they weren't particularly deep cuts but they were you know things like uh, bucket of blood and um little shop of horrors and i think maybe the nice. terror um and i can see a lot of that in in where skeeto and in, in your other films so i mean i take it you're a big fan of uh you know of sort of that era of uh of of uh, you know sort of black and white uh, b genre movies oh absolutely and actually um what's funny is um you know, like I said, Where Skeeto is my 11th movie. You mentioned black and white. Up to that point, uh, one of the things in Where Skeeto that's a bit of a gimmick is that, um, you know, the blood, uh, when, when the Where Skeeto sees blood, that's that's the catalyst for change, right? That's mm-hmm. his full moon. Uh, and I, I purposely put uh, in there that when we saw blood, it was red, right? Everything else is black and white and everything, and, but the blood is red. And that was a sort of a big deal up to this point because it took me 11 movies to really put any color in one of my movies because <laughs> up to that point it was all black and white except for one other instance and that was in the giant spider is that the opening title sequence the title was in red and blue and that was just a, a tip of the hat to the movie them about the giant ants because ah, okay. uh, that movie's in black and white but when it says them it's in blue it's like red and blue so i just did that because it was my giant bug movie uh, so that was kind of a, a a big deal, you know, for a guy who's pretty much made nothing but uh, black and white movies, um, except for, you know, a handful of others. Uh, the movie after it, uh, Demon with the Atomic Brain, was sort of in color, but it's so washed out that it's not. It's it's kind of weird. Uh, and then I did a movie called um, Guns of the Apocalypse, which the movie starts out in color, but for like 30 seconds there's a bit of a voiceover but then the atomic bombs go off and from that point forward it's all in black and white um because you know it's the apocalypse um and then uh after that i made a movie called queen of snakes which is actually in full color but that's the only film i've actually done in full color and even then i i messed with it to make it look like sort of low budget technicolor to make it look oversaturated and weird and somewhat unnatural compared to you know the 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 colorization schemes you see now Mm. was it Uh, was it sort of made to look colorized or yeah i mean that's what i was i kind of went for is i actually desaturated the color first down to almost nothing and then oversaturated what was left so a lot of subtle colors got lost but the brighter ones then over popped so it became it it, it looks it looks like a, a like a a again like a cheap technicolor or or like they tried to they colorized it but they didn't quite use natural tones like skin tones are really pink and and unnatural um but not not so unnatural as to be you know off-putting there's just it just looks like sort of that old color process from say the early 60s okay okay i do like that it's in black and white uh, because the i mean the red the red really pops, and it makes perfect sense, you know, that that you know that blood would sort of be, uh, would be the Wereskito's trigger. The other thing that I think that really you really nail the um, the tone with is uh, is in the music. 
you know, a lot of that is um, a lot of it's just old public domain stuff. Uh, and I end up basically with all these snippets of public domain music that I kind of um, remix into something new. Um, but a lot of it is is authentic old stuff, but it's all just public domain stuff that I've I've changed and altered and, and you know, um, sort of made my own. Uh, but I've noticed that, I mean, that's a, that's a huge part of those old movies is the way the, the sound is and the way the music is in particular is like, you can always tell an old movie by just sort of like, even the, the standard things people make fun of, like the whole like, dun, 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 you know, that's like that classic cheesy B movie thing. And a lot of those old movies, um, particularly the lower budget ones, Corman stuff would use a lot of the same library music. So you'd see, you'd hear a, a piece in like, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead that's also in something else. And you'd be like, you know, I've heard that piece of music in something else. You know, isn't that from Teenagers from Outer Space or whatever, you know, it's just, uh, so to sort of capture that, um, I really sort of went back to the source as opposed to trying really hard to find people who are trying to ape it, you know, or trying to create their own newer stuff. Um, because I think even 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 as as even details like how things were recorded back then or how they were, you know, how we're used to hearing them um, after generations of 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 copying and you know uh, reproduction, where things sort of they lose fidelity over time or they end up getting over compressed or whatever. So we're used to everything having this this sound right and, and the music in particular like i said has 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 that and so I, I i really felt the need to try and add that level of authenticity if i could uh and on top of that i also do wall-to-wall -wall music from beginning to end which is not something they do a lot anymore mm -hmm. um you know there's a lot i feel like there's a lot of uh we just have better quality, you know, ability to create soundscapes and stuff where you can really make immersive audio. But a lot of the audio back then was all just mono. So you, uh, you had to sort of fill some of the empty space or else it felt really empty. Uh, and a lot of those old cheesy movies would, would throw in, you know, music from beginning to end. And so I do that just to sort of constantly be driving the, the sort of over the top emotions I'm trying to go for. And, and, it's amazing how when you have, um, say, a performance that's that's someone trying really, really hard, <laughs> let's say, uh, and you see that in those old movies, someone is maybe not quite so much an actor, but is really trying, is to punctuate things they do with over-the-top, you know, music stings or just like hits that are just like, ah! uh, and it becomes almost a, a, a retro joke in its own right. So, yeah, that's. I, I appreciate you noticing that because um, I, I feel like I put a lot of time and effort into that. Um, and I think it helps with somewhat of a sense of authenticity I'm trying to go for. Sure. Yeah. And, and you can, you can definitely tell. Um, and I think that's, yeah, again, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you could almost, you could almost, you know, trick somebody into thinking this was a you know, 50 or 60 year old movie. Um, and I've had that happen. Um, actually, <laughs> uh, I recently had a, like, 
you know, my movies are most, most of my films are on Amazon prime, right. Which is where you found it. Um, and that has really served me well in finding people, but at the same time, it's, it's become apparent that people who leave, like I'd say 80% of people who leave Amazon reviews just like to complain. Um, or the, you know, and, and, and usually if they give a bad review and you go look at their other reviews, that's all they do is give bad reviews. Um, but uh, I recently actually had what was sort of a weird backhanded compliment um, uh, or backwards compliment about my films, which was someone was actually angry in the review that said, you know, they were like mad at Amazon. They blamed Amazon. They're like, I can't believe Amazon listed this as having been made in 2017. This was clearly made in the 1960s. <laughs> and I was like, I win. I did it right. I confused that guy so much he got pissed. <laughs> Works for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a compliment. Um, because it just it just it does look so authentic. Um you know, right, like the uh, the diner scene, which is um, you know, after sort of the you get we get a little bit of an opening, uh, an opening uh, um, scene with uh, opening flashback. But then, you know, sort of the first scene of the story, you know, our protagonist, John, uh, walks into this diner, um, which is, uh, you know, which looks like, you know, just a set that you've got um, you've got there in your house. And it I mean, it looks like a set you, you would have seen in in a movie from the 50s. Right. And I, I, you know, I have this, this unfinished part of my basement that became my studio that we build sets in. Um, and I thought about trying to find sort of an actual diner and, and I was like, you know what, low budget movie. Um, I, I wanted to create something that you could kind of tell was fake. Uh, partially because it's easier and cheaper than renting out a diner. Um, but it was also just like uh, it, it's, those old movies and particularly the low budget ones or like the old serials would, uh, you know, reuse um, and redecorate sets and stuff. So it was like, I had enough stuff to be able to create this, this goofy diner set and then we could shoot on it whenever we wanted. Uh, and so, you know, we did. And the other thing about it that was, that's, that's kind of fun is that if you, if you're paying attention to the signage on the walls, um, it's all specifically um, references to the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone is like one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, but there's an episode um, called, uh, uh, what was the title? I'm, not, I'm probably going to get it wrong, um, but it's um, uh, Will a Real Martian Please Stand Up? And it's about a, a bus tour uh, that ends up at this diner from a snowstorm. And suddenly they have an extra passenger and there's this whole thing about, you know, Martians and aliens and stuff. And on the walls are all these signs um, in this diner. And I just recreated all of them as a little, you know, nod to that, that episode. Um, you know, because they say like stew today, pie, 35 cents. Um, <laughs> and so I purposely did that. And I do that throughout my movies is a lot of my movies always contain references to other things um either older things or newer things like every one of my movies contains a line from ghostbusters somewhere okay yeah i did have that i had that uh i think i had that jotted down at uh um 
at one point uh, because uh, I think John saw, refers to something as as being Wrath of God type stuff or something. It's it's almost yep. verbatim uh, Dan Aykroyd's uh, line. Yep. So I, yeah, I thought about that. And there's a uh, there's there's the uh, there's the Incredible Hulk routine. Uh, exactly. You, know, the, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Um, yep. Yeah. So if you're paying well, attention, you know, if you're gonna <laughs> if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do something where you know someone's acting idiotic and and he knows that if he's driven to the uh you know to the to it you know it's like i mean how can you not throw in a incredible hulk reference (laughs) (laughs) i mean the guy's aware of the fact that he's this monster if pushed you know that's that's like yeah that's that's another thing that's interesting about it and about his character is that you know he's not he's not really uh you know he's not really reluctant uh he's he's sort of embraced his um his existence and his role and he has no problem in transforming into the monster to you know to to take care of this this guy who's who's an obvious jerk um mm-hmm. and you know and defend a woman that he that he basically just met right well and that's 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 what i thought was kind of fun about the character and that was why the the nazi hunter thing worked um, and why it sort of pushed it into its own, its own realm. Um, Cause you could easily do sort of like the, I think the more classic werewolf movie where it's like the guy doesn't want to be the werewolf and then the full moon hits and, you know, he's just, he doesn't enjoy it. Um, and I'm not saying that the, the John Baker character enjoys it so much as, you know, he's an ex soldier. He was experimented on by these horrible people and he wants, I think he probably figures if I have this thing, why not use it to, you know, do something good. He he recognizes himself as a monster and he realizes that it can't be undone. So the least he can do is at least stop anyone from ever experiencing this kind of a thing, you know, or being this or letting this guy who's this doctor who did this, who's still out there, go on and potentially do this to other people, you know? Um, right. And so it was, it was it was a fun angle to to make him not reluctant at all, but almost just like, all right, well, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to mess around, I guess you'll get what you deserve, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's that's the, the other thing I appreciate about it is a lot of times, you know, a lot of times when you when you know, when you see a, you know, kind of a, 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 a gimmicky movie and I, and I don't I don't mean that. I don't. I don't want that to to sound you know pejorative or anything, but um, but you know there are you know I, like, I embrace you know, it. <laughs> but th- you know things like things things like you know Sharknado uh, or or what have you right. is a lot of times the creativity sort of ends there. Um, but there's you know but the here you know the 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 main character is actually you know interesting. He's he's a he's kind of a he's a complex character and we're getting these little you know bits and, and pieces of his history and you know and he's got a mission and um you know there's there's real effort put in to telling a story that's that's going just beyond the oh well you know we'll we're we're gonna sell a we're gonna sell a, a ticket because uh because people are gonna come see the really ridiculous title so we don't really have to try. That's not that's not what's going on here. I mean you're you're really putting a lot of effort into telling an interesting story and um and in a compelling way. Well, and and that's that's the funny thing about what I do um, as a filmmaker and as a writer is that I, I I even though I'm making these sort of cheesy movies like Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter, which is just a over the top ridiculous title, 
I actually want to make good movies, right? Um, but I don't have big budgets. I don't have Hollywood backing. Um, and I want to make monster movies, which I really enjoy. Uh, and I love that era so much. And I want to just make more of those types of movies. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I don't want to make just bad movies. I want to make decent movies. Uh, and I want to tell interesting stories that are always the same. And that's that's another reason why this this monster sort of got put off until I found a good, like I said, a good angle for it was I didn't want it to just be the same movie over and over again. Every single movie I've made has been sort of distinctly different, um, but still within, you know, the same style. Um, and I consciously do that. And I have done that since the beginning. It was like, you know, there's so many tropes and different types of films um, from that era in particular. And I always try to do, you know, a little bit of everything. Uh, I had the Lake Monster movie. I did a sort of a Red Scare type movie. You know, I did a sort of earth, you know, uh, Martian women who need the love of an earth man kind of a thing. <laughs> um, uh, just, you know, the the serialized sort of sci-fi adventure, the haunted house movie, the big bug movie. And so uh, I often try with every script to, to come up with something decent. Um, whether or not I would succeed is, you know, up to the, the viewer and I admit that not every movie I've made is great and you know not every movie I've made is terrible um and you know it's personal you know uh tastes as well I can never fight with people I find people who are like oh I love this one but I don't like that one so much and then you'll find someone who likes the exact opposite so it's personal taste you can't fight with it but uh yeah I really do try to try to create characters that are com more compelling than completely just cardboard cutouts. Sometimes you do that. Sometimes that's fun. Um, I have a, a movie that uh, was actually postponed due to the pandemic that was supposed to come out last April that I just postponed till this, this year. And in it, I actually play like the mayor of this town and I'm just a, I'm basically a cardboard cutout of a stupid politician. Uh, you know, he's kind of a, a womanizer and an idiot uh, who's basically failed upwards. Um, but I, I do at least try to add some depth to the main characters, you know. Um, and again, that was important to me with this particular story was that. And I I do think that some people watch it and they are expecting it to be Sharknado. And then it's not. And they're kind of pissed. Uh, you know, they're kind of angry about it um, because, you know, people go into certain things with certain expectations. And if you go into something with certain expectations and they're not met, uh, then your enjoyment of it is going to be colored um, and, and changed. Uh, and so, you know, because I make these these sort of retro style, exploitative, cheesy movies, you know, to modern audiences, a lot of times people expect them to be, you know, sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge parodies, you know, uh, spoofs that, that we should just, they, they, it's like they all deserve to be laughed at. But, you know, back then when, when people were making those kinds of movies, they weren't exactly trying to make bad movies. They just failed spectacularly. That's the way I always put it. You know, it's like, 
yeah. like Ed Wood, you know, right. he wanted Plan 9 to be awesome. He just failed spectacularly and it became something magical as a result. Yeah. yeah. And he was just kind of right. oblivious to right. like all the objective things that were going wrong that, that he just didn't didn't really even, you know, register with him because he's so focused right. on something else. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the beauty of it. So it's like I think sort of the way a lot of modern audiences look back on those movies, they sort of look back on them with a bit of disdain, but then also just as as sort of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 effect, where it's like, let's riff on it because it's so bad, we should just make fun of it. And I love Mystery Science Theater 3000, don't get me wrong. Uh, and I'm from Minnesota where they started, so I love it even more because it's local guys. But um, at the same time, a lot of those old movies, um, you know, were decent films in their own right sure their monster was a guy in a suit or you know a bad giant ant puppet or whatever but doesn't make the movie any less it's just they were making do with what they had you know right doing the best they could uh the fact that we're jaded by modern technology that makes <laughs> you know crazy stuff seem real um is what sort of changes our perceptions of it and so with Wereskito in particular it's it's meant to be sort of a heavier movie. It's meant to have sort of a little more depth. I don't know that it's, you know, it's not Citizen Kane or anything, but it's meant to have some depth. Um, it's not meant to just be sort of, ex, you know, jokey the way the title kind of would suggest to some people. Yeah. And I've had people who are just like disappointed. They're like, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Okay. But what did you think of what it was? You know, that <laughs> that's right. the thing I was fight with. Of people like, well, I thought it was going to be this, and it wasn't. But then you get other people too who, you know, my movie, The Giant Spider, is a giant bug movie, but it's played comedically, um, or at least a little more tongue in cheek than some of my other stuff. And you have some people who get mad that it's not taken more seriously. It's like <laughs> a giant spider movie could be pretty scary if you did it right, but instead it's all jokey. And it's like, well, I can't win, you know? And yeah, some people love exactly. it because it is much more appealing to modern audiences because I am making sort of jokes about how ridiculous it is um so i don't know i mean i'm always fighting with it i don't know yeah it's it's one of those things so i've i've never I, i've never liked the phrase so bad it's good um sometimes yeah. you just sort of have to some it, it's i get that it's a shorthand to kind of um you know tell somebody what you know what something is right. um but I, i've never really liked it and um and when I was talking to uh, Brendan Steer, who made uh, the Velocipaster, nice. um, and you know, and what he had said is, you know, that what he was trying to do was was to make a movie that would recreate the experience of watching a bad movie with your friends, um, and that's what he was going for. And um, and, and I think that I think that 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 makes that makes a lot of sense because it's it's not like there, there's it's. It's it's you know it's sort of the you know it's sort of like the you know the turn um the turn to turn left to go right you know thing it just it doesn't make any like you can't just do everything wrong and have it turn out good at the end you actually it, it's almost a, a more even more of a challenge in, in a lot of ways to make a good movie uh but to give people give the audience sort of that same feeling of you know watching an old bad movie right and I think. I mean, that, that's that's the perfect point about a lot of this is that you look at those old movies and you look at something like Plan 9 and it's hard to 
um, imagine what the hell Ed Wood was thinking. <laughs> but you know that and can feel, and this is where the authenticity of it comes through, is that he was really trying. And again, it's that sort of like failing spectacularly thing that makes, that elevates something that's a quote unquote bad movie to something, you know, to, to, to art. I mean, it's like The Room, you know? Uh, Tommy Wiseau uh, thought he was making a great movie, but he wasn't. And he believed in it and he put his himself into it. And in the process, it ended up making something totally different that um, transcends something else because it's not tongue in cheek. It's 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 honest. It's earnest. It's it's authentic in its own ridiculous way. And that's 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 the thing that I think is kind of impossible to recreate uh, on purpose. Um, I think uh, one of the things that weirdly served me well um in that regard is that the first movie i made the monster phantom lake has still to this day you know 15 years later been one of my most popular films and i think it has more to do with the fact that when i made it i had no real idea what i was doing and so i kind of set out from the outset to make a movie that was an homage to sort of the so good, so bad they're good, cheesy 1950s B movies. And by the fact that I didn't know what the heck I was doing, I inadvertently made one, not because it was a perfect recreation of those movies, but because I actually just made a movie like that because I was trying so hard. And I failed spectacularly in a way that made it something else. And so, there's this sort of like innocent um, earnestness behind that movie in particular, where it just like, you know, you can see the strings and I was trying really hard to actually hide the strings. Um, and it just, it, it worked. And so what's weird is that as I make more and more films and I feel like I become a, a better writer and a better filmmaker, it becomes, it becomes stranger to even attempt to make sort of, bad movies if that makes sense uh so i realized that my goal these days is to actually just make good movies if i can and if they're not so good they're not so good uh and if they're terrible but becomes something amazing great but i just want to make a decent film that has a like i say a very specific coat of paint to look and feel and sound like an old cheesy b movie because I love those movies and I just want more of them. And of course they don't make them anymore because <laughs> it's the 21st century. Um, and so if you sort of, if you watch all of my films from beginning to end, I feel like you can slowly watch me become a better filmmaker. I don't think of myself as, as, you know, Spielberg or anything, but I, I you know, I think I've learned a few things over the years uh, about, you know, where to put the camera and how to light a scene and all these things. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've, I've just continued to make movies of this type. Uh, and they just, I think this plays very well into the discussion of where Skeeto Nazi Hunter in particular, because um, it's not the monster Phantom Lake, which is very goofy and 
you know, there's a lot of dumb jokes in it that aren't even jokes that I meant to be jokes. They're just funny because they're delivered weird or like the editing is, is goofy. Like, I mean, in that movie, there's like a walking montage that goes on way too long. And at the <laughs> time I thought it was amazing, <laughs> but watching it now, it's like, good God, how far are they going? Um, and people always bring up like the walking montage because it's so silly. And then it happens again. Uh, and at the time, I really thought it was like, a, I was like, this is cool, cool walking montage, you know, to sort of show them going on a hike before they find the monster and all this stuff. But then looking at now, it's like, why is it like five minutes of the movie of just different walking montages? Uh, because I didn't know any better then. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, going to, to now and, and like I said, with Wearskito, I just, I really wanted to make something a little more, a little more. That wasn't just a, a bad movie. And, and again, I don't think I always, I never shoot to make bad movies exactly. But you're right. The, the good bad thing is, I mean, it's, it's so bad it's good. You know, it is sort of shorthand for what I'm going for because it gets people into a sort of a mindset of, oh, okay, these are cheesy old movies. Because I could say cheesy old B movies and they don't exactly know what I'm talking about. But if you're like, oh, you know, Mystery Science Theater 3000 or whatever, it's shorthand. People are like, oh, okay, so, okay, black and white old drive-in movies. Yeah, that kind of thing. Changing topics just just, uh, just a little bit because it's one of the things, one of the first things that jumped out at, to me, uh, at me about the movie and um, something that, you know, with, with all, the, all of your films that I've watched through has uh, remained um, sort of consistent uh, are the subtitles? Uh, I, <laughs> I I personally always watch films with subtitles because I feel like I I I pick up I pick up a little bit more of the dialogue that way. You know, I don't have to go back and rewind something if I didn't quite you know, hear a line. But immediately, you know, <laughs> in the first couple of minutes of watching Where Skeeter, I realized there's a completely there's a complete other layer of of conversation going on with the audience uh, happening in in the subtitles. So, right. uh, yeah. So I don't know. Tell me, tell me about that sort of, where did, where did that idea come from? And you know, why, why do you, why do you do that? And, and also thank you for, for doing that because I think it's hilarious. Well, what's funny is like the, the subtitle gag as it's sort of known is, um, is, is like a, a well-kept secret. I mean, it's not cause I talk about it, but I never tell people about it. I just let them try to organically, um, discover it basically early on. When I made my first movie, The Monster Family, like in 2005, and I released it in 2006, uh, I, you know, um, wanted to make a movie for a long time. And I, I wanted to just have like a world premiere with my friends and family and anyone who wanted to go at a local theater and then sell DVDs, right? So one of the things I wanted to do is like, well, if I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to show in a theater and then sell DVDs, I want my DVDs to to feel like something you'd get from Hollywood. So I made a point to sort of pay attention to what was on your average Hollywood DVD at the time. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, I need some special features. Uh, I need, you know, uh, previews and all this other stuff, but I also need subtitles. I need, you know, closed captioning because every Hollywood DVD had it. And a lot of indies at the time didn't do subtitles at all. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, this will still be help. No, and they don't. And it's, it's, it's really not something that takes a lot of time to do. And of course, now that we're moving into streaming, almost every streaming platform requires it. So that's a nice touch. Um, 
but also on top of that, like uh, my oldest daughter is hard of hearing. And so I was like, well, you know, she watches movies with subtitles all the time. So I'm just going to do it to make sure they're there. And I got at the time, I remember when I released it, I had uh, a guy come up to me um, at like a convention and just said, you know, thank you for doing that. Uh, I'm hard of hearing. And, and it was it was nice to be able to watch a movie uh, and catch everything. You know, I love indie films, but I can't hear half of them. <laughs> and so it was really nice that someone took the time and, it, you know, it's, it's not that much effort. So I don't know why people don't. But um, when I started doing uh, the subtitles, now I'm, I'm, I'm very good at it. I can do it quickly. But then it was like tedious. I really didn't know how to do it. And I was learning this, this authoring software and all this stuff as I went. And it was taking a really long time. And I just started making kind of snarky comments in the subtitles and it became almost like like a, a, a joke on its own um, where I started I don't know like trying to sound out sound effects you know not saying what they are but trying to sound them out and even just doing that became kind of fun so I just started adding in little comments or weird things that that um, you wouldn't normally see um, like for instance, with the giant spider, there were uh, like the inner thoughts of the spider as it was attacking someone. You know, just right. like like weird little things thrown in there to add an extra layer of something. Um, and I never told people that that's what I did, and it fit with the monster Phantom Lake really well because that one was much more um cliched i mean it was a lot of let's just throw every cliche from that era into one movie uh and so i kind of poked fun at that and you know the people who had watched the subtitles like i love that and 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 so i decided to do it again and then it just became a thing and so i get people like yourself who are just like so i was watching your movie and like it's like the third time i've seen it but i was kind of not paying attention and there's something else going on like my wife was on the phone or something. So I threw on the subtitles and realized there's a whole nother level of something in the subtitles. So now I'm going back and rewatching all your movies with the subtitles on. And I think that's been kind of fun that it's a bit of a weird Easter egg um, that I just have fun doing now when I get to that point in the authoring, because that's usually the last thing I do. So it's also a bit of a personal celebration of being like, I'm at the end. I finished a movie. Let's do the subtitles now. I was on Twitter, I don't know, it was a few weeks back and someone had said um and someone someone had just tweeted that if you uh if you watched if you watched Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter and you didn't and you didn't have subtitles on then you didn't watch it. <laughs> and that was just Exactly. That was um but Well, it, and that's and then that's also my opportunity to kind of poke fun at my my own stuff too. I mean, I just went on this, you know, rant about trying to be more serious and all these things about it. But at the same time, there is a, a subset of people who want to, you know, look at these kind of movies in a less serious way. And so I sort of offer my own riffs on some of my movies um, or even just goofy things, like I said, sounding out sound effects um, and trying to write, you know, write, write out the sound of someone gagging or something, you know, just to, to come up with funny things to throw up there as, as again, Sort of rewatchability too is 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 maybe you watch it once without, then you watch it with, 
then I have people who watch like the I do commentaries on all my discs and stuff. Um, and I, I I need to find a way to put them on some of the streaming services too. Um, you know, just to add again other layers. And I actually, it's funny you mentioned the the thing about the the guy on Twitter. I actually had a friend of mine who you know has been involved in the movies and really likes them. And he he always tries to introduce people to him. And he tried to introduce a friend of his to him. And his friend was just, he was just like, I don't know. They're just not, they're not grabbing me. They're really just not for me. Um, he's like, I'm not, you know, a huge fan of those old movies. I don't know. And uh, my friend said, well, you know, try this one last one. Okay. Just try this one. Maybe you'll like it. Uh, and he didn't mention the subtitles, but his friend was watching it and he put on the subtitles for whatever reason. And he finished watching the movie <clears throat> and he, uh, contacted my my buddy back and he's like i finally watched one of these movies with the subtitles on and my appreciation for them is completely different now <laughs> and he went back and watched all the ones he really didn't get into with the subtitles and now he's a big fan yeah that's great um that's uh that's fantastic the um the the thing that um one of the things, the the sound effects thing, I think in particular is a lot of fun, especially during the fight scenes, um, like in, in Where Skeeto. It it reminded me of uh, of the old Batman uh, TV show. Oh yeah, you know where the title cards would pop up and say you know Biff or Zop or you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the, the I think the biggest laugh I had was um, there's a scene in Guns of the Apocalypse where. Um, where you know there's like the entrance to this room is through a tarp um so every time a character has to like pass through this he has to like brush the tarp aside and it makes that rustling you know kind of sound and and the and the caption just says tarp <laughs> and, <laughs> and then there's one time where he takes for whatever reason he the the, the character makes an excessive amount of noise or takes a really long time sort of like coming through and so the tarp is just rustling forever and the captain just says tarp <laughs> and an exclamation point and i i was just on the floor um so it's just this I, little stuff you know, like i don't that know really get me i started doing stuff like that like um i think it was in my movie queen of snakes maybe where um whenever someone opened a door it just says door <laughs> you know and it's just it's like uh you know, I think it starts with a door opens and then from there it's just door every time. But it's always like door exclamation point. You know, someone's just opening a door. Door! Um, <laughs> just goofy little stuff like that. It's, it's, I have a lot of fun with it, but also I find that um, usually, like I said, I do it at the very end of the process of the whole, you know, writing, directing, filming, editing the movie. And it's like, I'm finally going to be done with it and I'm going to release it. So I'm doing subtitles. And sometimes it's at that moment when I realize, oh, hey, look, there's a continuity error or, you know, this plot point doesn't necessarily make sense now because I'll figure out like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, and so I'll make a point to poke fun at it, to sort of like cut people off from pointing out, okay, so, you know, in this thing when you, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know in the subtitles. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's funny. There, and there, there's another, there's a bit in where Skeeto, where, um, I think it's where John is like wandering through the house. Like he's just, he's just killed the, the German uh, lumberjack 
and now he's sort of wandering through through his, the guy's house, like looking for clues. And he hears this he hears this noise. He goes to investigate it, and the subtitles are are like asking, like, "Where is that? No- where is the noise coming from?" And then John says something like, "I think it's coming from the basement." And <laughs> this <laughs> caption like just comes up and says, question, "That right. would have been our <laughs> guess too." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like yeah, just sort of interacting with the movie a little bit, kind of like like I said, it's it's. It's subtitles, but it's also kind of riffing at the same time, yeah. but not over, not overly. You know, it's right. not like a full-on commentary track. It's just when, but it's, it's when like I'm a, doing the subtitles, it's like a, something strikes yeah. me as funny. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a mystery science theater light sort of, um, right? You know, tile track running, running underneath the movie. So, yeah, that's that's a fun thing. I, I think I think more people should watch movies with subtitles. Um, I think I think all movies should have them. Just in, in general, that's. That's uh that's my opinion, but uh uh but yeah. Um all right, so last thing about the movie I wanted to just wanted to talk on talk about and touch on a little bit is um yeah, in there's uh there's a scene where he's going through like a box of uh you know, box of, of uh this guy's um uh you know, memorabilia and letters and stuff and he has he finds the uh the Nazi medal. Uh, mm-hmm. And I understand that's that's an actual like authentic uh, German you know, Nazi like military medal from from World War Two, right? Uh, and actually, it's kind of funny. Um, I uh, I'd written that into the script because it was like, hey, you know, it was like a bit of an on the nose, like, yes, this guy he just killed was a Nazi. Uh, here's proof. Um, but I remember when I was getting ready and doing all the pre-production on it, I was like, well, where the heck am I getting a Nazi medal? And I was like, well, I could probably find a, like a recreation somewhere for people to do, you know, recreations uh, or like, you know, live reenactments, right? Um, And as I started searching for it, I ended up in sort of this rabbit hole online of stuff where I'm like, I can't tell if... If I if I were to buy a recreation or whatever um, from certain sites, it was like I can't tell if this site is is like um, just for reenactors or people who actually like this stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Like it became kind of hard to tell. It's like, am I buying stuff from real Nazis? What kind of a list am I going to end up on? You know, and it just I couldn't tell. So I went online uh, on Facebook, I think, and I said, you know, I'm trying to find. Uh, uh, sort of like a Nazi era medal. Um, is anyone here like a reenactor that can, you know, basically put me in, you know, push me in the right direction toward um, finding something that'll work that I know I can trust is coming from sort of a trusted source. Uh, and I got a, a random message from a guy who had actually been in one of my movies and said, uh, I put out, I had asked people on my Facebook, uh, on Facebook, on my wall or feed, uh, looking for if anyone knew anything. And he said, he told me he got a message from someone who actually had a real Nazi medal uh, and and had just didn't know what to do with it. And um, he said that he, I said, okay, well, it's, you know, it's a little weird, but then he went on to tell me that, um, the reason he she had it was that she got it from her grandfather who got it off a Nazi he killed. So I was like, oh, so that's kind of badass. Okay, cool. Um, and so 
she didn't know what to do with it. And she's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I just, I like the idea of this being used sort of for something, you know, cool and not, I don't know, not questionable, I guess. Uh, and she said, so if you just want to use it, you know, I, I'd love to see it sort of put to some sort of useful purpose. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, so he got it from her and he brought it over. And I was like, uh, it's, it's kind of weird. Like it's, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's, I don't know. It has I don't, it, just the negative connotations about the whole thing. It's just, it's strange. It has a weird sort of air around it, you know? Um, Cause it is authentic and it came off as, uh, the body of someone who was killed by the person who was related to the person that gave it to me. So it's just, it's, it's bizarro. It's, it's so strange. And so I thought, you know, it's got such a, interesting story that it was like okay this is better than trying to f search through the internet for reenactment medals or like i said what kind of list am i going to end up on and so it, it gave right. life to something that is just just it's just weird but it's a part of history it is what it is um and and i feel like it's more of a positive use for something so negative yeah Absolutely. And I, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's a really cool story. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's, you, you, you make a, you make a good point in, you know, that you're not, you know, sort of supporting, you know, people who, who idolize Nazis or, or anything right. like that. And, and if you're in possession of something like that, like you don't, you, you don't want to just you know, hand it over to some collector and, you know, not really, you know, knowing where it's, you know, it's going to end up at the, you know, at the at the Barbie Museum from from Rat Race, you know, which turned out <laughs> to be a museum for a, a Nazi named Klaus Barbie. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So. so I mean, it's like it's um, it's 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 interesting when you start dealing with um, the subject matter of the Nazis. Um, I think most normal people <laughs> recognize how horrific they were. And again, that's what made them such great cinematic bad guys, right? Uh, it's pretty black and white. They're terrible. And so to a certain extent, it feels like, well, they get what they deserve, right? I don't yeah. feel bad about any of the Nazis in my movies getting killed. Um, and honestly, um, there's even a part of me that doesn't necessarily feel that bad for the guy who, you know, whose metal I ended up with. Um, Granted, he's a human being and it gets gray areas, but you know what I mean? I right. mean, it's like no, exactly. from a historical perspective, um, Nazis are bad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been really interesting when you introduce sort of Nazis as a bad guy of the sort of the reactions you get. I had a really good friend of mine who sadly passed away um, last year, um, not COVID related, but still, you know, crappy because I couldn't see him before that. Um, but uh you know, he was Jewish and he loved Wereskito Nazi Hunter. Um, and, and he had, you know, it was like his favorite of my movies and, and he had like a sweatshirt he proudly wore everywhere. <laughs> and it was like, you know, it just, it was like, okay. So I feel like I probably did something right in how I treated it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's great. Um, so I want to, just take a few minutes here and talk a little more, you know, sort of a little more generally, because you've, you know, you've made, um, you've made you know, over a dozen features uh, at at this point. Um, so you know, I mean, obviously from a 
a sort of a practical standpoint and a you know in a business standpoint um you know you're um you're pretty good at it so you know i was just kind of you know just wanted to talk a little bit about you know sort of how uh you know how, <laughs> how you pull it off uh you know how you how you finance your your productions uh and things like that like i you know i know that you do you know a lot, a lot of merchandise um and stuff like that as well but you know just sort of um you know how do you how do you pull it all together? I mean, are you at the point where you know the 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 proceeds from from one movie pay for the next movie, um, or you know, you're still fundraising, you know, sort of in between pictures, um, you know that kind of thing? Well, when I started, I just I you know put everything on credit cards, admittedly, um, and it took a very long time to finish off you know pay off that that first movie. But uh, somewhere around movie five, uh, I started just doing crowdfunding, um, and it wasn't. It wasn't Kickstarter or anything. I just asked people for, in essence, I asked them to donate money and, and you know, basically pre-order the DVD at the time. Okay. Then um, I would take that, you know, and then put it into the production. And that sort of has just continued from movie to movie. And it's got to the point now where there's, a, you know, a dozen or so people um, that, you know, every time I, I start a new movie, they're the first to jump in and contribute. And then you have just other, you know, people who at events, and this is the one thing that's been so really not great for me with uh, the way things have gone in the last year is that I can't do events. Um, so, you know, I've taken a bit of a, a hit as a, as a result. Granted, I'm not traveling, so it, it balances a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, just it, it started as a, as a crowdfunding thing. And now it's just every movie, I start taking contributions for it and, you know, people get their name in the credits and a copy if they they can pre-order copies of the movie um or or you know and, and honestly they can put pretty much any credit they want in there i've i've refused a few that are just too over overtly political that i just i don't want i don't even want to get into that with my movies because they're supposed to just be fun and you know open to everybody right you know left left or right i'm just not going to get into it you know i'm not going to necessarily take a a stance on whatever political thing other people want to push, you know. And again, they're my movies; they're my brand. I can sort of do what I want, <laughs> but I'm I'm pretty strict on that. Where it's like, you know, but most people they just want to see their name or their kid's name or their dog or whatever or their podcast, you know. Uh, like I've won uh, this cool podcast that always just puts their URL, you know, and I'm fine with that. Um, and they basically fund the production of the movies the the budgets are small and i've i've you know gotten pretty good at keeping the budget small and finding ways to to stretch a dollar but i also because i write my own movies um i'll write movies uh with the budget in mind and and to try and take advantage of like say locations i know i have access to you know like uh, um or or props i already have or whatever where it's just like i find ways to cut costs as much as possible and i write stories that i know i can make um based on stuff i already know i have access to or have or or actors you know i use a lot of the same actors uh and you know they're the folks who who know what i'm doing and how i do things and they're just you know they're cheap and fun to work with and they know that we're just there to have a good time and um you know it's just it's everything's sort of 
modest amounts of money that add up over time. You know, I, I sell, I distribute my own stuff um, through Amazon and on Roku. Um, and, you know, the revenue from that is pretty small and Amazon keeps, you know, making it smaller and smaller every year. Um, you know, I mean, I always complain about Amazon. Um, I mean, they're really kind of the only game in town for indies to a certain extent. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's a little sad because like um, last December, I got over, you know, 2 million minutes of my films streamed in the month of December and I got like 240 bucks. So it's like, it's not lucrative right. for streaming, but I still sell physical media and there are still a lot of people out there that like it. I still like it. Um, and there's extras and stuff that come with the physical media um, that I distribute myself online and uh, through Amazon. I'll sell it through, sell the actual physical media through Amazon. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they kind of fund themselves at this point. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of events when it's possible, obviously it hasn't been, but um, mm. just over the years, I've, I've sort of created a, a process by which like like how much i know how much time say writing is going to take pre-production is going to take filming editing and so i got it down to about you know a nine-month window from beginning to release and then there's sort of a three-month window in there two or three-month window where i just go and promote it and then i start thinking about the next thing and i just keep that going and so it's like i always have people who are interested in contributing uh, and i was just use you know sales and i do collectibles and stuff I'm a huge um, Star Trek nerd from, you know, uh, way back and to going all the way back to the next generation. You know, I was a kid when that came out and I was just a huge fan of it and got really into Star Trek in the 90s and stuff uh, with all the offshoots and into the sort of the collectibles and, and the sort of the merchandising of it all and the community of, of Star Trek fans. And so when I started making more and more movies and and you know it should be said that all my movies exist in like a shared universe uh much like the marvel movies um right, and right. that's that's and on purpose that's by design they all stand alone but they all are linked in some way and i totally did it two years before marvel i'm just gonna say <laughs> right i was gonna, <laughs> but, I was gonna um, say that your your uh, your uh, mimiverse goes back to um goes back to the pre-mcu days so right um, exactly but so uh, i totally i totally they totally ripped me off. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, I, 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 I've sort of tried to feed the idea of the community of it all because it's to a certain extent, my movies are like almost like community theater, you know, uh, and we have our, our players and we we are very invested in sort of the community of the, the fans and people. And I was trying to create uh, and this is the thing that's really sucked with um, the inability to do screenings and events is just, I always try to create sort of a, a, a retro movie going experience when I show my movies. And, and I, I, I miss that a lot. And I, and I know that a lot, there's, there's people who like come to every premiere just because they're always this sort of like retro window that they get to ex experience these, this, this, you know, room full of people who are big fans that are just having fun. And it becomes like a, just an annual get together where we watch the new movie and then we hang out and we, you know, they buy little stuffed animals of my monsters, you know, stuff like that, where it's just, it's trying to hit on the, the, I don't know, the collector's market. 
yeah. I guess. Beyond just the film itself, I mean, you're creating you're creating an, an IP that's um you know that's that's unique and um and and desirable um you know and you know, you've clearly hit a hit a niche. I mean, I understand, you know, like there are people that you know that cosplay as you know as your characters at you know at conventions and at events and stuff. Oh, yeah. which is uh, uh just just incredible. And that's and honestly, it's it's, it's my favorite thing is that sort of. Uh, you know, my movies having sort of life outside of just the films, um, because I spend, you know, I personally probably put 90% of the time into any one movie, right? Uh, because I do so many, I wear so many hats during the production. So it becomes kind of a, a lonely experience <laughs> <laughs> because I'm really doing, you know, the writing by myself, a lot of the pre-production with just a handful of people. Then we shoot the movie and then that's over. And then it's just me editing it for months. Uh, and then doing all the promotional stuff and, and, you know, and so it becomes kind of weird and lonely. So it's always nice when you get into that, where it becomes sort of the community stuff of, of like, like you said, people doing, you know, dressing up as characters or whatever is always just kind of, it's exciting and, and fun. And, and it becomes this, this cool catalyst for us to sort of meet and, and, you know, get to know people. I've, I've gotten to know a lot of really, really nice people and made a lot of friends. And it all started with them just like checking out my movies. And then I get and I meet them somewhere and, and we become friends. Um, and then it becomes, you know, it's, it's no longer about my movies. It's just about these cool people I meet. And we had this one thing that sort of brought us together. And that was, that's always the thing about popular culture that I always, you know, is, is sort of the best part of it, right? Is it gives us all something to talk about gives us some sort of shared ground maybe we argue about you know which star wars movie is the best star wars movie but at least we all like star wars and so that was that was the kind of thing that having done this for so long and honestly i think it's 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 almost madness at this point that i'm still doing it and still love it so much uh when it's still so niche um that it's just kind of fun to be creative and and meet people and have fun and have these sort of adventures, you know, with my, my family and, and my friends, uh, that's all based around just this goofy little retro universe I created that has kind of taken on a life of its own as well, which is, it's just fun. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, I, I like that a lot. And, you know, and it just shows that, you know, with, you know, with, with, with perseverance and hard work and creativity, you can create a whole library of content and, uh, and IP that's, you know, that's commoditizable and, and profitable outside of, you know, like a major Hollywood studio system. So, right. you know, what I'm saying is take that, Martin Scorsese. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's funny uh, as far as uh, Martin, Martin Scorsese is consider, con, concerned. Um, one year, uh, I think it was two thousand eight, maybe it was when it was when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. Uh, but it was also the same year that Scorsese released his uh, Rolling Stones um, concert film, uh, Shine a Light. Okay. Um, uh, one of my movies, Cave Women on Mars played at a drive-in in Wisconsin. And it was the third feature. And the first two features was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Shine a Light. And then Cave Women on Mars. Oh, wow. And so one of my favorite photos ever taken was that marquee. Because it was like, <laughs> and I always jokingly say, it's like, that's how it should be. Spielberg, Scorsese, and Mim? 
<laughs> you know, it's like, huh? it's like one of these things is not like the other. Um, but it was just, it was, it was fun to sort of have my film up there with two, you know, absolute, you know, giants of cinema. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, I just, I started doing this as just for fun. It was just, I wanted to make a movie and I finally did. And I had so much fun doing it. I decided to make another one and then another one. And then it snowballed. Uh, and I just, I found ways to keep it going. Um, and then found enough of a, you know, a fan base and a, and a, just a group of folks who enjoy it enough to, you know, keep it going. And early on, it was like, you know, I, I think I had that, that sort of, I, thing in my head that I think everyone who uh starts making movies has in their head maybe that when I make a movie Hollywood's gonna come knocking and I'm gonna be you know a millionaire within two years well <laughs> that never happened um but in the process I realized that um even though that is kind of a a yardstick for success of, of success right it is a marker of success that you've gone Hollywood and you you make a lot of money and maybe you put your name on, I don't know, one of these Star Wars prequels or something. I don't know. Um, but at the same time, I realized that that is not the only definition of success as like an artist, right? Right. As a filmmaker. To me, I realized that working it out to such a point that I could make enough money so that I'm not constantly falling further and further into debt, but make enough money to make another movie that was success that was what i wanted uh was to be able to basically feed the beast without it consuming me if that makes sense <laughs> um and yeah, so that absolutely. was yeah that was kind of a lesson of 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 doing this so long is like as long as i seem to be able to you know not kill myself in the process and you know lose everything i own over you know, making movies and they can fund themselves and I can still enjoy doing it. That's all I need. That's all I've wanted. And I've, I've at least reached that point. And now it's just kind of, uh, you know, what should we do next? You know, what, what should we make next? What's the next one? What, uh, what haven't we done yet? That folks is what we call personal growth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I had kind of those same dreams when I was, uh, you know, when I was in my, uh, early and mid twenties, we're conditioned well, somewhat you... To, to think that it's just about money and that that's what, you know, that's what success right. is. Right, exactly. It's like success is only only measured in dollars. But it's like, no, because all I really ever wanted to do was just keep making movies. So if I can do enough to keep making movies, how am I not successful? Sure, I'm not the richest guy in the world and I'm, I'm definitely not, you know, George Lucas, but who cares? You know, I, right. I've made I've made 16 movies and I've, I'm starting pre-production of number 17. I mean, I think I've done, I've done enough uh, to, <laughs> to feel like, you know, I've, I've done something um, and had a great time. And like I said, uh, lots of cool adventures as a result. I mean, just the weird traveling and, and places we've gone and, and, and people we've met and, and it's just, it's been great fun. And, and honestly, you know, I'm not, I'm not starving as a result. Um, I'm not, I'm always, you know, everyone struggles to a certain extent, um, you know, monetarily, but, um, I've made it work and, and, you know, that 
to me is exactly what I've wanted. That's all I ever wanted from the beginning. And that it took a while for me, I think, to figure out that when it came to everything, um, the idea of, you know, say selling my stuff uh, to uh, some other company that was just going to, you know, take all the profits, you know, I guess I didn't care so much as the beyond the fact that, well, then I wouldn't be able to invest the money I do make back into making more movies and then it would become harder to make more movies. I don't want to do that. I just want to keep making movies. Uh, and I guess I'm just kind of crazy that way. I don't know, but it was just, um, I, yeah, again, like I said, it's, it's sort of the growth of, of getting some perspective and saying, you know what, money is not the most important, uh, thing. Uh, it is not the, the only, um, signpost of success. It is not the only, you know, uh, thing that you need, uh, you need to sort of, I don't know, feel good about what you're doing and who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me this, is there a crossover in the future, you know, sort of a, you know, giant spider versus monster of Phantom Lake or cave women, cave women on Mars versus moon zombies? You know, uh, I, I, I often am asked about when I'm going to finally do my monster rally movie. <laughs> and I can say this is that uh, the, um, the movie that I'm working on now um, which is actually a, part of now a trilogy, which was not originally the plan, but has become the plan. Um, and I'll quick explain this, but um, in uh, last year, um, or in 2019, I was going to make a, a movie uh, that kind of fell through, um, through scheduling problems and whatever, what have you. And so I wrote another script called The Phantom Lake Kids and the Beast Walks Among Us, which is kind of... Um, it basically stars my kids um, and like their friends uh, playing characters they've played in other movies. Uh, and they all kind of band together to become this, I don't know, it's kind of a, you know, uh, our gang kind of uh, little rascals kind of thing. But then also uh, it's told from the perspective of kids growing up in my universe, right? So they know about all these monsters and, you know, this is their life. <laughs> and so I wanted to make this movie and I did but it got postponed because of the pandemic. Uh, and I started making the other movie that I had put off before and then had to stop making that one again. And so with the pandemic, I was like, well, I, I don't want to lose a year of making a movie. So being that I'm here with my kids, I was like, well, let's make another Phantom Lake Kids movie. We'll make a quarantine movie. And we did. So this past December, we released a movie called The Phantom Lake Kids and the Unseen Invasion, which is a little nod toward the covid pandemic and uh now this year I'll, i'm going to release the beast walks among us well because we're still in a place where i don't know that it's entirely safe for us to be shooting movies with uh, outside people we started talking about doing another movie uh with the phantom like kids characters because they're just fun to write but then also you can do a lot of a lot of stuff and they're just you know it's fun um so I started writing this this other one for a movie called The Phantom Lake Kids and The Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended, <laughs> which is the most ridiculous title I could come up with. And I just, it made me laugh. So I kept it, even though it's crazy long. <laughs> um, but in that, you get some of the monster rally stuff. You start seeing the kids facing stuff that we've seen before. Um, but it also then sets up 
the distinct possibility of eventually doing a destroy all monsters uh, kind of thing where you have a lot of the different monsters from a lot of different movies having to fight each other. So we, we get with sort of a monster rally thing and it kind of sets that up. Well, that's, that's, that's great. And I, you know, I mean, after so many, after so many movies like this, I think it's, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of only inevitable um, because that was, I mean, that's another, you know, trope that goes back even to, you know, the old days, especially like the, um, you know, the Godzilla movies. Um, oh yeah. You know, well, you always... some of the Universal Monsters movies where they started crossing over, even yeah. through the Abbott and Costello movies. Oh, sure. with, yeah, you know, then, all the, then, the then you can do, you know, three, the Three Stooges meet Wereskito or something. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, the Family Kids movies are kind of the Abbott and Costello movies of my universe. Um, okay. Because they do kind of meet up with existing monsters. And, and, and so they're kind of that point. But then you can, like, you do have the possibility to springboard into a Godzilla-esque, um, you know, all-out monster battle. That just sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, I get so. asked that all the time. I mean, I've had several people like, when are you doing the Monster Rally movie? It's like, I'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, so tell tell people about, um, you know, sort of the Memeverse and where they can find your your Blu-rays and DVDs and, and, and merch and stuff. I want you to go ahead and, you know, sort of plug your... Um, your website and, and tell people that are interested, you know, sort of how they can, um, how they can support you. Sure. Uh, well, I have a, the sort of the main place to find any of my, my stuff is uh, the production company website, which is St. Euphoria.com. Uh, St. Euphoria is, it's a long story, but uh, it's uh, St. Euphoria pictures uh, is my umbrella for all my movies. Um, and it's all spelled out S A I N T E U P H O R I A.com. If that's too hard, I always tell people, just go to thegiantspider.com and it'll get you there. Okay. Um, it's a lot easier to memorize. Um, and from there, you can check out everything, um, learn about all the movies, check out all the the cool like collectible stuff. That, we do a lot of, like, speaking of collectibles, uh, we do a lot of, of like limited edition stuff too, where I'll do like a yearly wall calendar, but I only make like 50 of them. Uh, we do, you know, like yearly... Uh, monster ornaments for you know christmas trees uh that again it's it's limited to like 20 of them uh but then you can also buy uh blu-rays and dvds of pretty much every movie um otherwise you can check us out on amazon uh you can stream almost every one of my movies they dropped a few but i still don't know why um but they've done this to a lot of low budget indie filmmakers i'm lucky that i have as many on there as i do uh you can watch them on there uh, and I encourage people, if, if you're just checking them out, to to find us on Amazon uh, and watch the movies on there. We do get a couple. We 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 get like about two cents every time someone watches a movie. So, you know, uh, <laughs> if you're just checking it out and you don't necessarily want to invest that much quite yet, uh, that's one way to do it, to get us a couple cents. Otherwise, I do have a Roku channel as well called Drive-In Monsters. So if you just look up Drive-In Monsters, you'll you'll find my movies. Uh, and that actually has some other cool stuff on there uh, that's uh, special features that that you usually, some of which are were lost to older editions of DVDs and stuff like that. So uh, you can check that out. Uh, otherwise, you know, we have a Facebook page for the films of Christopher R. Mim and um, an Instagram and all that good stuff. Twitter account that 
never really gets used. <laughs> Great. And yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to put links to uh, to all of that in the show notes as well. Um because yeah. I I want everyone to check that out. Um you know, I I'm I'm a big fan of your work and I really uh, really appreciate you taking uh, taking some time this evening to uh to to talk to us about uh about your movies and um, you know, I'm definitely, you know, definitely looking forward to the next one and sort of making my way through, uh, through the catalog. Um, I, I'm also, you know, a proud, proud owner of the, uh, the double feature with uh, uh, destination outer space and, um, and where Skeeto Nazi hunter. Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, uh, this is uh, one of the things is if, if, if someone listening out there is a fan of, of physical media, and Blu-rays in particular. Um, one of the things we did is the first uh, the first twelve movies are all sold as double feature discs. So, for the same price as you would have paid for a single DVD of a single movie, you get both on a single edition Blu-ray. Um, so you get you know like, uh, like Monster Phantom Lake with House of Ghosts. Uh, came from another world with the giant spider. So you get, uh, like you said, Destination Outer Space with Where's Kido Nazi Hunter. So 16 movies is a lot of movies to uh, catch up on, but uh, that's sort of one way if after checking them on Amazon, you decide that you want to see more uh, and maybe own them. Uh, and of course, I sign anything for free. So as long as you buy a movie, I'll gladly sign it. Um, you know, it's it's sort of the easiest way to get the entire catalog and they're the highest quality versions you can actually own of the films, uh, are those Blu-rays. Um, literally even higher quality than Amazon. So if, you, if you're a person like me, who's kind of a nerd when it comes to uh, video quality and owning the best version you can possibly own, um, that is the place to get the best version of all my films. Yeah, uh, that's great, and uh, absolutely, and I can vouch for uh, for the Blu-ray quality. Um, you know, it's a the it's a fantastic disc. Um, you know, both both movies of the double feature. You know, have you know like special features, uh, you know, commentary tracks, things like that. Which I, you know, if you're a if you're a Blu-ray collector, I mean, that's one of the things I know that you know that a lot of people uh, enjoy. Um, you know, myself included. Um, so, you know, and they just, they, they look spectacular, you know, the menus are great, um, you know, it's, um, it's really, uh, really well done, um, really, really well done stuff, and, um, you know, and you can get stuff autographed, that's, um, that's all fantastic, so, um, yeah, so, uh, so, uh, Chris, thanks, thanks again, I, uh, you know, really appreciate you, you coming on, I know it's, uh, starting to get a little, uh, a little late, um, so, you know, I don't want to take up, uh, take up too much more of your time, but, uh, just wanted to, just wanted to say, uh, to say thank you for, uh, for, for being on the show and, um, you know, wish you the best. Oh, thanks for having me. This was, this was great fun. And if I can just put in one more quick plug, you yeah. know, if, if your listeners, if, if you're someone out there who, who loves, you know, cheesy independent films and want to do your part, um, I, you know, have a couple projects in, in, in production right now uh that can you know if you want to contribute and get your name in the credits and you know pre-order dvds or blu-rays or you know if you want to give it as we even do stuff we have people give them as get give them as gifts and i'll you know send out a little letter saying you know that it's been given um you can do that so if you check us out on our website and want to contribute just to everything every little bit helps 
yeah, absolutely. So yeah, everyone, everyone go and check uh, check check that out. Uh, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, have a have a great evening. Thank you. You too.